When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Everybody, welcome to Impact Theory. You're here, my friends, because you believe that human potential is nearly limitless, but you know that having potential is not the same thing as actually doing something with it. So our goal with this show and company is to introduce you to the people and ideas that will help you actually execute on your dreams. All right, today's guest is a globally recognized super stud in the world of elite human performance. For more than 20 years, he's been hell-bent to demystify and democratize talent via boundary-smashing experimentation and scientific rigor, and his results are astonishing. He spent nine years as a director of high performance with the Olympic snowboarding and skiing teams, and when he took the job, America was in seventh. By the time he left, they were competing for first. His secret was developing custom programs that take people way, way outside of their comfort zones and showing them just how much they're capable of. Whether he's having elite athletes parachute into the Australian outback with Navy SEALs, forcing them to crawl blindfolded through a box of snakes, or surprising them with a real-life charging grizzly bear, he doesn't promise that it will be easy, only that it will work. He believes we should treat our entrepreneurs, researchers, and scientists the same way that we treat elite athletes, and as such, he's worked with a litany of people and organizations ranging from Fortune 500 clients to DARPA and everyone in between. And in his current role of Director of High Performance at Red Bull, his work has branched aggressively into the realm of optimized creativity through collaborations with some of the world's biggest artists, musicians, and cultural influencers. In 2013, his very unique work garnered him the Outstanding Contribution to Performance Innovation Award at the prestigious Leaders in Performance Conference. Please. Help me in welcoming the man who led the performance team for Red Bull Stratus, the group that helped Felix Baumgartner with his record-breaking jump to Earth from the stratosphere, the man who thinks it would be revelatory to push someone out of a helicopter and into the ocean without telling them first, (laughs) Dr. Andy Walsh. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. Absolutely. A pleasure to have uh, a man of your possible like madness level on the show. I think what you do <laughs> and the way that you look at optimizing performance is really awesome. It's knowing what those custom programs look like though, it's, um, it's pretty intriguing. How do you come up with stuff like crawling through a box of snakes or having people charge that by a grizzly bear, which I mean, that, that was pretty freaky, seeing the, the images of that where people don't expect a, a full-size grizzly bear to be charging at them. What's, uh, what's the thinking behind that? Well, the thinking, we always try and draw back on the science of what's going on. And the, and the fundamental principle there was designed around managing the flight-or-fight response, which is, in many high-risk, high-stress situations, 
ultimately that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get people to make a right decision at the right time, no matter what the stakes are, and move directionally towards their goals. So if you think about how do you create a, a state of high risk or high anxiety, high, high, high arousal, you can do it, you know, in the classic sense by pushing people in the field they're trained in, or you can bring a very obtuse uh, uh, sort of stimulus to the system and working with people like Eric Potter in that case, who uh, recently retired sort of head of uh, psychology for special operations and naval special warfare. He'd used similar approaches. So he, he thought about it and there's an innate fear of snakes, uh, especially if you're not from my home country in Australia, you don't grow up with them. There's this way we package the training evolution. So we kind of give you a little information, but you, you're left to fill in the gaps. And then naturally in that state, you'll, you'll see the snake, you'll fill in worst case scenario, because you'll make that story up, which is an, a sort of inherent human trait as well. And those two things combine, raise that fear, if you like, or that anxiety. And then you're trained during the program to sort of manage that and bring it back down. And the more you do it, and the more differently you approach that problem, the better you get at, the, at, the, at that skill. And then ultimately you translate that into whatever it is you're trying to achieve. So, you know, the other part of that is it can be fun. It can be, it doesn't always have to be serious. <laughs> well, it is for us. It's not so much fun if you're driving through. But more importantly, those very unique kind of challenges create a moment in time that anchor you. And we hear over and over again, the community say, God, whenever they face another high stakes, high risk situation, they go, remember the bear or remember the snakes? And they recall. And so it's sort of like an anchor memory, if you like. Tell me about Project Acheron. Mm -hmm. Where'd you come up with that? Where'd the name come from, which I found pretty fascinating? And what, what do you hope that people get out of it? In um, Dante's Inferno, the, the river that separates hell from heaven, is lined with souls of people who never committed. And the name of that river is Acheron. So we thought that's a perfect name for a program where we're going to put people in a very uncommon environment. We're going to stress them in very obtuse ways. And working with Pete Nazcheck, who was former naval warfare, he uh, designed sort of some very um, strategic and sort of military-focused events that we would push them through in that, in that week. of, And we basically took... Uh, four young men who uh, who had sort of come from very warm and sort of backgrounds in sort of comfortable environments with respect to their their sports, and we dropped them in the middle of Patagonia, unknown to them, and then they had to march their way through the mountains, through the cold, through the up and over the hills, and and this all comes together in a project called Acheron, which was really about putting yourself out there, pushing yourself in an uncommon way, and basically learning something about yourself. And that, so that concept of, God, I'm going to see if I can get the exact quote right. Um, the better you are at who you are, the better you are at what you do. Mm -hmm. Is that the notion behind? That's one of the fundamental premises. It sort of goes way back even to programs we'd been doing earlier than that. But the idea that at the very top of a game, most people are obviously very skilled at the craft. Mm. They've mastered the craft and they've mastered the everything around that craft. And so for us, it's about getting them to understand at a deeper level who they are and what they stand for is really their way forward. And again, that draws back from ancient Eastern philosophies, you know, of sort of mastering of yourself versus mastery of the craft. And, and we found over the years that if we explore your edges with you in a supportive but challenging way, right. you will bring your expertise to bear because you are the master and you'll bring that to bear in a manner we probably haven't even thought of. 
and you'll take that opportunity to grow and evolve and and that's how we came up with that phrase. I love that you guys in try. I mean, you're dealing with the best of the best, and you've mm -hmm. talked about you know the people that we're dealing with are they're already placing like third in the world, and our goal is to get them into first and to really get the perspective that's going to allow you to do more than eke out just one or two percent. We had to go back to the ancient texts and look at like the Bushido code, mm -hmm. samurai, what they were doing, and what is it about like going through suffering that helps people understand themselves better? It's a great question and you're right, we did look deeply. We call it like the wisdom of the ancients where you think about all those people in history who've had a, had, it's been in their best interest to make sure that everybody's performing at a high level, whether it was just survival of your community or whether it was in the battlefield or whether it was for a religious tangent. So we, we reflected heavily on all that that had passed before us and knew that there was a lot of insight to be gained there. And for us, it's a question over and over again, is it, is it suffering necessary or is it a, a, a quick path towards this enlightenment? And we'd like to figure out a way where you didn't have to sort of go through a little bit of uh, sort of self-discovery, which seems to happen in the, right. quickly in the suffering environment. But we figured the only other answer would be to figure out how to get you on stage in front of a million people and you're rocking and rolling. Uh, but that's even harder to create. So we, we, we kind of s sit back. But we, we try and think about it like you, it's not so much the suffering, but you're going to be pushed just beyond your capacity. We put programs and systems around you to ensure that when you do get a little bit beyond where you're comfortable, we have you back. Mm. Now we'll let you probably explore that space a little so you both, both you and I understand where you want to work to improve. But I think that sort of, if it's done in the right way, it's not so much, it can be tough, but it's not so much the suffering. I, I think if you do, if you consider it in that light, it's, it's not as daunting as it is to just go out there and punish yourself. Right. I'm actually a big believer in the suffering. And in one of the videos that I saw of you, um, I, I don't think you worked with David Goggins, but he's the guy in the Navy recruiting video mm -hmm. who's talking about, like, I don't stop. Uh, until something gets uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. We actually had him on the show, mm -hmm. did an interview with him, utterly fascinating dude. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he's really tapped into is what you find out about yourself through suffering, yeah. specifically through suffering. And I, I'm gonna, I'll just put it out there. You can't discover that about yourself without the level of suffering. I think. Yeah, I and that could be fair. Imagine. And well, I think when we talk about it again, it's in the context of is it suffering for the sake of suffering? Is it suffering to learn? And mm. I think there's two sort of levels to that. And if we're fortunate enough and create the right training environment, you do have a hard time, right. <laughs> but we pull you back through. So it's not this ongoing thing. And of course, again, with elite people who have to compete and all the rest of it, there's also a high risk of injury in those states. Mm. So we have to balance that piece out as well. So, but I, I agree. I think in suffering, there seems to be a moment where you just strip it, everything falls away and you just focus on the here and now. And all you're trying to do is be present and look at it directly what's in front of you. And I think that's a skill that's very much part of growth. And I think that's one angle that the suffering impacts you. That's interesting. And that may be a much better way of looking at it than the way that I look at it, which is the thing that I find so interesting about suffering is you come face to face with the gap between who you are and who you want to be. The art for us is how do we get you there without putting you through hell? Because mm. it's actually, to your point, if 
you have to really struggle and we put you, put it, put you to the sticks and you have to really go through hell. First and foremost, it is miserable. And, it, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's not comfortable. And, and for many people, I think that level of suffering just out of the blue is it's almost detrimental. Yes. Some will, some people will eventually, hopefully get through it. But if mm. they don't, they have a negative uh, sort of reaction to it. Then you're dealing with that aftermath. So for us over the years, yes, we can run you up and down and keep you awake for hours and days at a time until you break and you know, hopefully come out of that with a different perspective. We've been really focused on how do we get you to explore that edge uncomfortably, but without potentially the physical risk of stress or the, you know, the potential negative outcomes of it. Mm. And how do you balance that? Like when you're working with an Olympic athlete and you know, okay, I need to push them, but not to the point of injury. How do you get them beyond comfort, but stop shy of injury? Well, the beauty of that is if I pick you as a, as a talent we're working with and we say, okay, to put you in an uncomfortable situation, say in an interview on camera, mm. which is very uncomfortable for some people, you're obviously uh, you know, used to it, practiced at it. It would be hard for me to generate a scenario in this situation that would challenge you. Maybe, you know, if you were interviewing the president or we put you in front of the Academy Awards and you had to host it, maybe then you get a little bit of a, <laughs> I think that's the heart hard. rate starts yeah. to kick in a little bit. So that's also very hard to do and obviously expensive. For us, if I say, if you're not used to uh, something, so I put you in a, in a room stand-up comedy or something mm. and say, okay, make these people laugh or we put you in a situation where uh, potentially like our surf survival breath hold where you're, you're having to be yes. underwater and things like that. If we come at you in an uncommon way, mm. You'll ramp very quickly, the anxiety, the arousal, the stress, everything will peak. And we can get you to a place where you can practice your skills and behaviors and explore your edge with a high level of risk that you're perceiving. But for us in the background, we're like, yeah, there's no real challenge to you. So we can, with our training evolutions for our best talent, we try to build opportunities where we stress you emotionally, spiritually, sort of, you know, uh, psychologically and not so much physically because the, the sort of risk of injury and the physical challenge is high. That's so interesting. Like people complain more about that than parachuting into the Australian outback? Especially if you're an athlete, yes. Wow, that's so interesting. And are you trying to put people in that position specifically so they can practice like um, getting out of the sympathetic nervous system, tapping into the parasympathetic, like lowering their heart rate, reducing anxiety? Like is that the game to just that's one that. of the games. Mm. So any chance we can get you in a situation where you are sort of an elevated heart rate, stress, anxiety is high, and you can then either learn to manage it or manifest tools and techniques, which we train you in to bring it back, the better you get at it. And the more we can do it in very uh, obtuse ways, so the more diversity we have in the approaches to get you to that level, the more practice you get at it in uncommon ways, which makes you also more adaptable. So you can deal with the unknown much more easily. So you kind of, the analogy would be if you practice it across all these different scenarios, then even something even more uncommon comes to you. You're like, all right, I've done this a dozen times in right. different ways. It's an easier step than I've only ever practiced it in my craft. How can people do
You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off, and that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com impact and use code impact to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. This, like, because you say that this stuff should apply and does apply for entrepreneurs, scientists. How can people do this in their own life? 
Uh, it does apply, first and foremost. These things transfer very, very well, because these are fundamental, you know, sort of human nature, if you like, in mm. flight or fight. Uh, I think, think about your personal response is going to be specific to you in the situation. So I, the simple way of saying that is one person's heavens is another person's hell, mm. and, you know, and that's very true. What you feel comfortable and, and sort of happy in that space, other people will find very uncomfortable or can and vice versa. So for us, it's first and foremost, identify what is in your world that's outside of your sort of level of comfort or mm. is a bit of a challenge that slightly exceeds your capacity and then take that on. Now, it can be very subtle at first, like introducing the concept, say, to a table of entrepreneurs, say C-suite, um, just don't give them an agenda and they start to get a little anxious, you know, and it's a, and it's a funny mechanism. It's a, it's a teaching point to say, hey, I just did a very simple thing. I didn't plan the day very well, or I, I, maybe I booked the wrong room and we're kind of disorganized and we, we act that out. And if you see sweet, you know, time is precious and mm. there's this idiot in front of you who's kind of not organized or seems unorganized, which both are actually true. But um, then you get to, uh, you know, and there's no agenda, so they don't know what's coming and, and straight away they'll react. And if they react in sort of an, in, a, in a way that's not appropriate to where they want to go, you can bring it up and say, look, this is one little tiny disruption I just put in your world. Mm. And watch your behaviour. What's a big disruption going to cause? Now, again, I'm, I'm gaming the system in our favour to make a point, to be very right. clear. But it can be simple little things. It can be picking, uh, you know, uh, something that you've always wanted to do and setting that goal and pushing yourself towards it. It can be uh, challenge yourself with something that does scare you. Uh, some people I know have taken this to heart and they pick one thing a year that they've always wanted to do but never had the courage or you know, patience or time to do and they say, I'm going to do this. And then classic things like jumping out of planes, but all of them work if you put it in the context that this is about stretching and learning and, and if you observe your own behaviours, as you say, in that space and how you turn up, mm. you can learn something about yourself and there's not right or wrong, there's no judgement, it's just did it help me or did it maybe hurt me? And you move and change accordingly. And is that, like, what's the optimal response look like? Is it universal? Like you're trying to get people calm and creative or what should be the, if, if I'm doing that, for me, jumping out of a plane would be one of those things. I just can't make it make sense from a risk and reward perspective. But like, if I were going to do that, yeah. what would I be trying to accomplish? Just going through with it or is there like an optimal cognitive response? I think the going through with it sort of shows that you can overcome barriers and things like that. But for me, it's far more interesting to just watch yourself and watch your thoughts as you approach that task. And if you can learn something about that and are the, is it just, if you've done the math and say, look, I've done the math and the odds of me getting hurt, but it just doesn't make sense. And that's right. fine. It just, there's no right or wrong. But if you watch yourself approaching it and you see, all right, you start to make excuses or you start to beat yourself up and I'm not really... Re all those things that you could turn around in your, with respect to your mindset mm. is a learning opportunity. Now, it may not be that you take that on forever, but it's just a reflection point. And again, I think to your earlier conversation about you have an idea of how you want to turn up and how you want to be seen and who you want people to see you as. And then you probably have the real you. <laughs> And there's no right or wrong with that. That's natural human behaviour. But if you're trying to aspire to be sort of a better version of yourself, mm. then those moments where things don't go well or challenges are slightly beyond your capacity or you feel just like you're faking it, 
they're opportunities to watch and learn about yourself and just tweak things and improve little bit by little bit. And are there commonalities among the mindset of the like most elite performers in the world? One thing I do notice across them, the passion to do what they love. And for me, that seems to squash a lot of the other challenges that creep into the system. If you really, really love what you do, mm. then you'll first and foremost do all the work necessary. You'll go out every day and do that fundamentally because you love it. If you don't love it, if you know, as an athlete, you'll probably find an excuse not to go train right. or whatever. But I also think in that passion resides sort of a, a true love of understanding of what you're about and, again, what you can do in that space. I think those things together seem to allow people to kind of do the necessary work, put up with the years of potentially non-reward, like not making any money or any mm. career. Some of the sports we've dealt with in the past, there was nothing in there when they started and ultimately they just managed to make money at the end, but that was never part of the plan. So I think all those things are overcome by a real love of what you're doing. And then you can play anchors in on your own value system as well. And beyond that, are there um, like belief systems or a style of self-talk or anything that you found? Like, is there any of that that you try to bake in? Like if you're trying to take somebody from third mm -hmm. to first, like beyond what feels to me like the physiological response that you're mm -hmm. trying to optimize mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. pressure, is there anything like a belief or self-talk or whatever mm -hmm. that you try to optimize? I think that comes down to a little bit, you know, sort of the bigger version again of who, who are you, what, what do you stand for? A lot of the times we sort of say, start with the basics, like just be kind to yourself. Be, take, take, be a little bit easy on yourself. So you're going to be your world's worst. It seems worst. so counterintuitive. It does, but you're going to be your world's worst critic too, you know. You'll, you'll, mm. You have that internal dialogue to your point. And if you give yourself room and space to say, look, I'm, I've got a lot to bring to the table. I have you know, much to learn, but I also, I'm, on, I'm not here to do any harm. I'm here to just try and work through this on my own. You start to get a framework around learning and learning from your mistakes, learning from your successes. And I think then the sort of being very open to lifelong learning is another thing that we see that many of these top performers bring to the table. They're, they're consistently just, what's next? What can I do a little bit better? I, they're open to new ideas. They, as we've learned over the years, to explore every opportunity to understand what it takes to be uh, improve human performance, just everybody has something to offer. And I think if you bring those two things together and you start to get to this space where people, the, you know, the training for someone starts with that fundamental notion of, um, look, every opportunity you have as a person who's pushing the edge of what you're trying to master is, a, uh, is an opportunity to learn about yourself as much as it is about getting better at what you're doing. Then you can kind of start to build that sort of uh, framework and mindset up. Wow, that is not what I expected you to say. That's really interesting. And that leads me to like creativity has become such a big thing for you. Mm -hmm. um, why is creativity important and how do you help people really optimize that? So creativity for us became very important fundamentally as we started to move into the culture and arts community and people from those communities were saying we want to improve and we needed some framework. So obviously we defaulted in an unknowing manner to, all right, creativity is an essential part of what you do. It dawned on us very quickly that no matter what you're trying to achieve, if you're best in class, you redefine that space mm. for everybody else. So whether you're an athlete figuring out a new move or you're playing professional basketball and you show the world the new version of the game, or of course if you're an artist and you're you know, exploring the edges of your talent, 
that creativity, the idea of thinking about things differently and, and more importantly, having the courage to back yourself in that space, we found was a profoundly uh, 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 in, in, profound insight for us and also led to an opportunity, we felt, because most people weren't, especially in the non uh, cultural sphere looking at that as a training space mm. so having said that we then embarked on a journey to try and just get a framework around the creativity as a construct and we built a platform called hackingcreativity.com which was just a, a mix of research and personal and private opinions and sort of uh, a master's sharing their stories and just trying to shed light on the conversation and then in the greater context of what we're trying to achieve, it also set us on the journey of trying to put a, a, a training and development framework around measuring what can't be measured, so to speak. I love that So concept. if we think about those characteristics and skills and qualities that everyone really aspires to be, and you see on all the ethoses and the locker room walls and the, and the, and, and the sort of value statements of companies, it's the things like integrity and character mm. and values and compassion and empathy and grace. Those are the areas of human performance that we really feel have the greatest to offer, but are the hardest to conceptualize and also right. then train to. So what do you do? Like if it's that important and yet that hard to measure, and I mean, this is somebody who measures blood and yeah. I mean, like the detail that you guys go into, brain scans, um, uh, looking at the microbiome, I mean, like you guys really get nitty gritty. So how did you become obsessed with measuring what can't be measured and where have your wins been? Like, what do you look at to know like if it's working on the creatures? Well, it's a, these are great questions. I think we measure a lot of stuff first and foremost because we can. Sure. And that's neither right nor wrong, but it definitely gives us a baseline. And for many years, the physiology and the biochemistry and the mechanics and, and the things that we can document either through blood or film or you know, brain scans, whatever it may be, allows us to get put our fingers into something. Mm. And then if you think about it though, and it, you know, these other areas of human endeavor, and if you, if you talk to people who reflect on great talent they've worked with, invariably say, yeah, whatever they did on the field was fantastic, but they were a great person. You always get this sort of insight. Mm. And so that was the driver for us to say, this is a white space. Now, to train to it, to prepare people for it, to um, say we have any sense on how to do that would be absolutely wrong. But again, I think we know it when we see it, so we can select for it. So in building any team, selecting for character first mm. amongst the elite programs is where we all agree. Interesting. So how do you test for that? Like, is it just a verbal interview? I think the easy way to think about it is that when you see someone who's extraordinary in a particular facet of their career or their life, um, that tends to overshadow the rest. And we tend to put them on a pedestal because it is, it's extraordinary what they've achieved. But at the end of the day, they're humans like the rest of us. And there is, in many cases, an, in, an equally dark side to that success. And it may be, not in all cases, but it may be the fundamental simple things that challenge you and I day to day. Maybe they're, they're not paying enough attention to their family or their life. They, they may be suffering, you know, a lot of them suffering security. A lot, it's, it's, it doesn't look any different to the average sort of person, if you like, in many respects. And so I think they're, in, and you see in the press many examples of when that side breaks through and people then seem to have very little compassion or forgiveness for these individuals because they were 
putting them on such a pedestal. They don't like it when they fall from grace. So I think, uh, I think that's something that people need to understand, that it's, these aren't uh, sort of super people that do this. They're not superhuman. They're, they're normal people who've obviously either been passionate or had an inherent talent and they've manifested itself. But in many cases, they struggle just like everybody else. Mm. All right, so let's go back to training to um, character. Mm -hmm. How do you, are there like sort of set standard things that you guys do to try to help somebody develop that? Well, I think it would be wrong for us to say there's an ideal character. Again, it comes back to that just, who are you, what do you stand for? Mm -hmm. And we step aside from the judgment. We're not here to say this is right or wrong. So our training is, if we do it well in those cases, sort of allows you to self-reflect. You are given a, a training opportunity and training evolution. You go into it, you perform successfully, unsuccessfully, moderately, it doesn't really matter. The debrief will reflect on your sort of uh, progression through the training evolution and in that in that conversation it can be t very tactical all right you pressed the wrong button or you you hit the ball the wrong way or you didn't hit the note or it could be very much um, around you and character like when things went wrong you lost your temper with the rest of the team or it could be you uh, you didn't own up to the fact that you didn't bring that piece of equipment that you should you were supposed to bring mm. to the you know all those little things and, and they get to more of the the character side of it so it's more of a an awareness a personal awareness that we look at and hopefully and if you're in the right training environment and the right the right community and people around you're all trying to hold up a high level or a high standard of values you kind of rise to that occasion and if you just can't then most of the time in those places they they tend not to last now what's the end game for you in human optimization and where do you see us as being on the cycle are we like all the way at the edge and there's only you know a couple percentage points more that we can eke out of the human experience or we at the very beginning <laughs> it's a good question i think if i look at it with the lens of some of the uh, programs i see sort of on the edge of this space uh, i think we're really just at the beginning now there's a time stamp to that so evolutionarily speaking you could say yeah, in a hundred thousand years we will be very different but I think just because of what we're seeing, the technologies, the, the sort of interest in this space as much as anything, that that time frame will compress very quickly. And then you get into pure human optimization, which we, we talk about in the context of making you better with the natural born gifts you've mm. been given. And then we get into augmentation, which is adding things to you. And those two conversations have very different timelines as well. So, What is the current state of like brain-computer interface? I think, um, well, I think Elon in his latest announcement with his, his new startup shows you that there's enough science there to, to make it a worthwhile investment and he's going to pioneer the space. I think it gets very interesting when Kurzweil and the group up north at Singularity start talking about being connected to the web 24-7 mm. and things like that. Honestly, I don't know how that's all going to manifest itself, but uh, my hope would be that we understand and we can explore the edges of what you can do profoundly as an individual human, and then we're layering on top of that. I think, uh, I, I don't know if it makes a lot of sense to start to explore all these ad additions if you haven't had at least some sort of opportunity to develop who you are in the first instance. That's a really interesting response. And do you mean going back to like the notion of character and building that sort of ephemeral vision of who you are? 
Yeah, I think as we've talked about this sort of next gen of the sort of human 2.0 conversation we're in deeply right now, the idea that with machines and, and cyborgs and robotics all coming together at a, at a rate of progression that's sort of unparalleled in mm. our history. For me, the fundamental question that belies all of these conversations is what are humans good at? What are we inherently, profoundly, uniquely designed for? And if we can isolate that and start to explore that, as the machine does take off more and more of the mundane and, and potentially even more of the complex, right. which it will, we're left with this is the thing to focus on. And I think when we get back to, again, the wisdom of the ancients, compassion, empathy, character, virtue, grace. And that's your answer to this. I think creativity. I think that's where we're going to end up. That would be my gut. Um, I'd love to hear if there's other things, um, yeah, but I, I, I'm not sure. And it's interesting to me to, if we're trying to truly be, build machines that could do what humans could do, we also need to answer that question just so we can replicate. Mm. If we do build a machine that is capable of replicating everything we are, we need to know what we're trying to replicate. All right, so let's take it back human again. Yep. What are some of the, um, the metrics that you look at when you're studying people that are in a training evolution, they're trying to get better, maybe Acheron, like what are you guys looking at when you take someone through an Acheron evolution? I know you guys do brain scans, a lot of blood work, microbiome. Mm -hmm. What are you looking for? And then how do you judge sort of success from that? We are fundamentally trying to answer two questions. The first question is just in a cross-sectional sense, who have we got? Mm. The people that we're already obviously undergoing this protocol training are usually best in class or at the top of their game. So we're looking to see, is there just something we can distinguish across them? So we look across both physical metrics, psychological metrics, mm. and hopefully some insight into creativity and spirituality, but that's a tougher nut. And then, so if we just take that on its own, that gives us an insight in potentially that community and what makes successful people successful. Then we go in, okay, we're about to do something to you. We're putting you through an experience. We need to understand exactly what it is we've turned and dialed and switched and changed in mm. you. So a lot of that assessment up front is also trying to allow us to figure out if something shifts and changes during that training week, and that runs about two weeks, what is it? And can we do it more accurately with less you know, you know, resources? Can we fine tune that experience? Mm. And are you starting to see patterns emerge? Uh, to take one of those things and try and drop it downstream and say everyone should do that is where most of the information around human performance on the online and places like that is wildly inaccurate for most people because it was, just wasn't you. So if I'm a sort of weekend performance optimizer, mm -hmm. um, knowing that it's really specific to me, but needing something like to benchmark, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. where would you encourage me to look? I would look, I mean, depending on what you're trying to do. Remember, people have been doing it for a long time. So no matter what you're trying to achieve, there's someone who's done it before mm. you and someone already at that level, really elite. I mean, I would use their training or their processes and systems as guidelines. I would say, all right. If I'm going to climb Everest, there's probably a generic template out there to do, in fact, right. there is. But I would be very careful about copying wrote someone else's program. I would say, all right, I'll use that as my sort of boundaries. And then I'll 
learn about myself. And if I find that this works really well, I'll continue to do that. If I find that that doesn't seem quite right, it doesn't feel right, or I'm getting too tired, I'll, I'll take a rest. Of all the stuff that you've done in human performance, what have you learned and put to use in your own life? <clears throat> well, I think um, it's the conversations that we started with earlier around being a little bit more patient with yourself, giving yourself room and space, being kinder on your, on your framework, getting that mindset around failure that, look, I've made a mistake, it just shows me what I need to either improve if I want to continue, or, or in my case, hire someone else to do it if that's the, if that's the, if I'm not good enough at it. Um, for me, being more aware of the present moment in time and being learning to sort of not get too hung up on anticipating a, a false narrative of whatever future you have in your, inside your head, and not getting too caught up in the past and sort of bring it back to the present and not always but knowing that I have those skills right. allows me to sort of, if I get in a tough spot I can draw on all these other experiences now I'd love to say I get it right all the time but just like everyone there's moments when I think we get it and other moments where it's like oh I just got to reset mm. and and I think nowadays one of the biggest things is if we think about those values and characteristics across all the elite performers there's there's a sort of indication coming through some of our research that doing it for a bigger purpose, having a bigger purpose, this sort of falls under the spirituality narrative. But again, my uh, uh, apologies to the real spiritual masters we work with. But the idea that you are doing things for something bigger than you is something that I, I've started as I've got older to sort of anchor in as well. So maybe, in, again, for your military, it's going to be your mates. You don't want to leave them lying. Uh, it may be in a religious capacity, it may be for a, a God of your choosing, uh, it may be just for the betterment of humankind, whatever that narrative is, we see a lot of that popping in our elite performers and I never plan on it, but naturally as I've gotten older, I'm like, all right, what, what can we do to make a difference? And for me and a lot of the people I work with, that seems to be a place that allows you to continue to explore with greater purpose. It's very interesting. Um, so bringing it back to like high practicality, what's uh, the role that you see as nutrition playing in all of this? Just like everything else in the performance framework, you need to be locked and loaded in every area. If you are missing fundamental nutrition, then that's going to be a massive decrement to your outcome. And it has both the physical component and also more importantly, as we're seeing, it has a neurocognitive component. So, you know, how quick you're thinking and decision making and all and that. And what have you seen play into the neurocognitive from a dietary perspective? Well, you know, um, as precise as we are with our, the, the sorts of testing we can do, we typically it comes back to, hey, I'm, I'm just thinking more clear. I've corrected my diet. I've, I've filled in some blanks in all sorts of systems and, and, and nutrients that are missing. And we, we hear the general framework of, hey, I'm, I'm sleeping better. I'm thinking more clearly. The fog's gone. All these comments, which we can't tie directly to any one change we made. But when we look at, we've made the nutrition was, say, substandard, lacking, and it's now not lacking <laughs> you know we've filled in the gaps and we see that change but we haven't got the precision to know which pathway we affect <coughs> but i think there's still in, in sort of summary so much to be learned in this sphere and so many pieces that we don't understand and the the human as an entity is one of the most complex systems in the planet in fact in the universe if you talk to the the scientists and uh, 
I think only now today with again the, the, the progression we're making in the, in the AI and the deep learning models, we can start to aggregate all the data on humans in such a way that we can start to rec recreate a digital sort of yeah. prototype which will allow us to explore these things. Yeah, it gets pretty interesting pretty fast. All right, before I ask my final question, mm -hmm. where can these guys find you online? Uh, on, online, um, I'm very bad at any of the social things, um, but uh, um, I do have a Twitter account, which I get to once a month, so to speak. Uh, nice. But I'm on LinkedIn if people want to connect there. I'm usually very open, and uh, and, and if you are, we are open with our platform. We we do like to share what's going on because the more, the merrier. It's going to take a village mm. to solve this sort of human performance construct and so we're very open with our systems and data so we're, we're always sharing down our lab. Very cool. All right, what's the impact that you want to have on the world? The impact for me would be fundamentally if we could make 1% difference across a lot of people, I think that would be profound. If To make it more real, if people people I think all have a dream, they have a vision, They no matter what it is, it may be very simple, it may be sort of groundbreaking stuff. If we could have a part to play in terms of understanding how to get them towards their dream, uh, I think it would be a pretty amazing step to take if everyone could realise what they always wanted to achieve and get there. Uh, I think the place would be, uh, the world would be an interesting place. So I think if we can contribute to that by sharing what we've learnt and making it actionable and effective, which it can be, uh, I think that's a possibility. That would be uh, an exciting moment for me. Awesome. Dr. Walsh, thank you so much thank for coming on the show. Thank Absolutely you. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Guys, you're going to want to dig into his world. It is utterly fascinating what he's doing, the way that he shares so openly with the things that they have learned and trying to get more people in this. As he said, it's going to take a village, and he's very much taken a leadership role in that to make sure that there's a whole community of people putting forth all the things that are the bricks that are adding up to real human evolution and taking control of the evolution of evolution. It's utterly fascinating to dive into his work. It is, hopefully we can encourage him to be more social because <laughs> I think that he has just a tremendous, tremendous amount to offer for anybody who wants to optimize themselves and going from that all the way to truly becoming one of the greatest on the planet at anything that you choose to be. And just the cycles, the evolutions, the physiological things that you can look at from neurotransmitters to nutrition, all of it, they're trying to go in, find out what makes us tick, what allows us to grow and get better, and what the, the training evolutions are that any of us could deploy in our lives to find out that highly customized strategy for self-improvement. So dive into his world, see what you can put to use in your own life. You will thank him for it, I promise. Again, Dr. Walsh, thank you thank so you much so for much, coming man. on the show. Appreciate Everybody, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Impact Theory. If this content is adding value to your life, our one ask is that you go to iTunes and Stitcher and rate and review. Not only does that help us build this community, which at the end of the day is all we care about, but it also helps us get even more amazing guests on here to share their knowledge with all of us. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this community. And until next time, be legendary, my friends.